plant birds can provide tranquility. Now let's widen access to nature with birdability. Thank you for tuning into Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I think I'm getting better at this. I don't know. I'm <laughs> Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We are definitely not experts in anything that we discuss that might be controversial. We want you to remember their own opinions and they might be different from yours. So, getting into some corrections from our last show. Yeah, what? what we'll just get out in front of it. Is this a corrections <laughs> corner? Is that where we're at? I guess so. No. Let's, now let's, we have corners? Yeah, let's all step into corrections corner real quick. We'll... That sounds dangerous. That sounds like uh, somewhere a policeman would lead you to. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I need you to come into the corrections corner. The no, corrections I don't want corner. to. Okay. <laughs> Sidetrack. Uh, anyway, so we have some corrections from our last couple episodes. Uh, first one was something that John pointed out, that I was saying black-throated sparrow uh, when I was talking about the calls of wren tits and olive sparrows. It was actually black chin sparrow that I should have been mentioning instead, and I got caught up with black-throated sparrow in my head. So, sorry about that, anybody that I might have confused, but it's black chin sparrow, Rent it and olive warbler, or I'm sorry, olive sparrow. I don't olive know. sparrow, yes. Uh, olive sparrow. <laughs> I might have said <laughs> olive warbler earlier. Anyways, those three species have similar-ish calls. Yes, and the other correction is something that just got pointed out to us just today, the other day, yesterday, very recently. Um, someone sent us an email, and it's something that I have been called out on. To my face, multiple times. See, these, this is something that I've never heard of before. Oh, I've, I've, I've been called out for this one, um, specifically the woodpecker one. Okay. Um, that, and I know, I'm, I, I just get caught up when I'm talking and I just pronounce all the letters. Um, uh, saguaro um, should be uh, saguaro. And, Which uh, is what I had, I didn't know. I'd never heard that. And yes. I like Googled it and there's very few websites where they actually like post the correct pronunciation, pronunciation yeah. of saguaro so well and and then uh, gila woodpecker obviously is gila like gila monster and it's just for some reason i just immediately go and pronounce all the letters and i apologize well and that's just what you do in a lot of english well yeah it's yeah that's true and, and they're not english they're words. not english words so that's that's kind of it's kind of the downfall of uh not being more Worldly. Purposeful <laughs> about the way I pronounce words. Are you going to use more conviction now? More conviction. use words. Or or maybe I'll pronounce them to myself first before I say them out loud. <laughs> you're, you're like over in the corner like, Gila. Nope. Well, nope. I mean, Gila monster. That's, that's like, you, you learn that as a child. Like, you learn that as a young kid. Like, it's a Gila monster. I know, but then you see the word and it's like, oh, it's Gila. Yeah. Obviously. Well, and I, and I kept pronouncing it Gila Woodpecker, Gila, Gila, Gila. And I pronounced it so many times when we were down in Tucson to our participants as Gila Woodpecker. And then, like, I don't know, I think probably a couple times a day somebody would remind me, hey, you know it's Gila Woodpecker, right? I'm like, Not where yes. I come from. <laughs> yes, I know. Okay. I'm bad. Well, we Anyways. apologize. Thank you all for pointing out our mistakes. Yes. Thanks for keeping us honest. Um, other piece of news is that the Global Birding Weekend is coming up October 8th through the 10th. Um, and this is a competition. Well, it's not really a competition. It's a global event in which... A cooperative event. Yeah, which teams do semi-compete against one another. So put a team together and um, participate in this or join a team. There's lots of optic companies that are putting teams together, as well as I know Susie with the Casual Birder 
podcast. She does a team. Oh, yeah. Um, she does one every year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, there's a number of other groups to do as well. So join a team or start your own. Yeah. So we've got a couple of reviews also. We're going to hurry up and try to get through all this because we have a long a long episode ahead of us anyways. So um, we got a couple of reviews real quick. We've got uh, NC Nate um, gave us a review. Uh, thanks, NC Nate. Says, uh, good stuff, easy, friendly banter, informative, and relevant bird content. What more do you need? I, I love the what more do you need portion. It, it reminds me of just like, what more could you ask for? What more could you ask for? Yeah. <laughs> a better podcast. I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think there is a better one. According to our next review, John Calendar, there's not. Who says, uh, listen, one of my favorite birding podcasts. <laughs> Listening to this podcast is like hanging out with birder friends telling birding stories. Hannah and Eric's adventures are fun and relatable and give an authentic picture of what birding is like. During COVID, most of my birding has been solo. This podcast is a reminder of how fun it is to bird with others. Thank you for making my drives to birding spots more enjoyable. Well, that's perfect because that was like, I feel like the inception of this podcast was like something for people to listen to while they're driving between birding sites. Yes, when you're driving to your birding adventure, listen to this to get hyped up. So, John, <laughs> you you nailed it, man. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, thanks, John and NC Nate for sending us uh, some reviews. It's awesome. And then uh, we also wanted to mention a Facebook message that oh, we yeah. had from Boris, who has commented in the past before. Mm -hmm. uh, Boris is in Lithuania, uh, which we, we almost went. We wanted to go we so were bad. We so close. <laughs> um, anyways, Boris uh, messaged us to say that we've inspired him to start his own podcast, which is centered in Lithuania and is nearly entirely in Lithuanian. He, he said nearly entirely in Lithuanian, and I've listened to three episodes now. Um, I speak no Lithuanian, and I understood zero words. So I think it's in, it is entirely in Lithuanian, not just nearly, which which is fantastic. Which is for, so cool. Yeah, super awesome for like get get the birding community around the world speaking in all the languages of the world about birding. So this this is spectacular. I, I know there's a German um, bird mm -hmm. podcast, and I don't. I'm not. A, I think there was um, one in India. I don't know what language it was in, and like if it's still active or not. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's so cool, you know that there's people you know that are talking about like you said yeah. it, and getting the you know languages involved in this too so it's not just us speaking english yeah i mean we we don't have to understand it he's ta he's ta talking about birds like it's it's not directed to us it's directed to people who speak lithuanian so that's fantastic and that's that's awesome and it's uh i'm gonna try my first uh first attempt ever at speaking any lithuanian at all so so sorry everybody i am extremely is... sorry boris if this is completely <laughs> off on the pronunciation of the name of your podcast but we've got to Garbanatos Pelicanus. Pelican, okay. Man, that was awful. I am sorry, Boris. So it's, um, as far as I can tell, it sounds like it's tr translated as uh, Curly Pelicans, which... Uh, I love that name. That's great. It's awesome. So, um, <laughs> so Boris, thank you so much for being, for, for listening to us and sending us a message. And that's spectacular that you started your own podcast. I mean, is it because he might be like... Well, your podcast is terrible, so I started one that's better. Well, may, may, yeah, maybe we're missing something, and he's he's filling that niche. If if a niche needs to be filled, and we can't fill, let someone else fill it. Yeah, no, it's super <laughs> cool. So congratulations on your podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So next we wanted to introduce our uh, bird nerd giveaway for September. I think this is our last uh, show note. So last sorry. show note. We're, sorry, we're, y'all. we're almost there. We're almost so close, people. <laughs> um, so we sat down with the authors of Ornotherapy. Two of the three. Two of the three, yes. Um, Holly Merker and Richard Crosley, um, while we were at the Southeast Arizona Bird Festival, just a couple weeks ago, um, we were able to step outside. We were able to convince them to sit outside with us for a few minutes and... Uh, outside of the expo hall and record a little bit about uh, what it is that they're doing and uh, what, what ornotherapy is. So uh, listen into what we, what we found out from them. Okay. So we're here with Richard Crosley and Holly Merker uh, to talk about their ornotherapy program and book that you all have come up with. Would you please tell us about yourselves a little bit? Okay. Well, I'm a, Crazy English bird watcher, been in America most of my life, best known for doing these books with lots of birds. But the, the, my ultimate goal is really to get people connected to nature, birds in particular, through the books like Ornotherapy, the Crossley ID guides, because nature, birds, it's where we need to be. And I'm Holly Marker. I'm uh, an environmental educator and also have been a professional birding guide for a long while. I'm obsessed birder. And um, so my um, interest in birding right now is connecting people to the wellness benefits that birds bring to us. And I think everybody can probably relate to the last year and a half during the pandemic of how important these connections were to the world around us. And now research and science are showing that these uh, connections that we have, using birds as the gateway to get there, are filling us up and rewarding us with better health. In fact, birds are heart healthy, I like to say. (laughs) It's true, it's true, because actually all sorts of biochemical changes are occurring inside of our bodies. And so, you know, doctors in other parts of the globe are prescribing nature as a frontline defense to mitigate anxiety, stress, high blood pressure. So, hey, you know, if the doctor's going to write an order for us to go birding, hey, it's sign us up, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is a, an initiative that Richard and I have uh, started, but I'm uh, absolutely passionate about because, frankly, birds saved my life. I'm uh, an 18-year cancer survivor, and I use birds to heal myself through uh, of body, mind, and soul. So um, that's my story. And, uh, Richard, how about you share about the book? Oh, the, oh, actually, my daughter was the third co-author on the Sophie, so um, she's a se- secret co-author, not listed. Secret co-author. <laughs> Poor Sophie was stuck on an island off Thailand, right? So with no COVID, because yeah. so, she's into free diving. So mm. she likes the outdoors. I wouldn't say she's a bird or anything like that. So she just loves being out in nature. But um, she's great at, at books. She's great way we words. But she's very mindful as well. And a lot of this is about mindfulness and connecting, not just to birds, but to nature and, and what's around us. In her world, it's actually be a, being mindful underwater. So she dives underwater for five minutes, 100 foot down, scares me to death as you can imagine but I often think about how she must be in the moment and you know so whether you're underwater watching birds I think this being in the moment being disconnected from our phones and all the distractions that society brings to us today you know it makes us feel better and science shows it's really healthy for us so uh, you know this celebration of nature and and being right there is it's so key in so many so many ways. So who should be buying your book? Everybody. 
Because I, I think, well, what do you think? Who should be buying the book? Well, this, this book is really different in a lot of ways because it's a hands-on instructional kind of book that helps guide our readers into experiences with birds to deepen those connections, right, that we're talking about. Actually, it's great for the entry-level bird watcher who's just interested in birds and wants to learn how to know more. Um, so we teach the basic fundamentals of how to look at birds in a way in which will enrich your experience. And we focus on the practice of mindful birding, which is um, being in the moment like Richard was describing. But with that, and that sounds a little, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, something that a lot of people feel es like they can't achieve. Yeah, esoteric <laughs> or something that a lot of people feel like, oh, I can't do that because I don't meditate and all this stuff. Actually, that's not really what it's all about. What it's about is being intentional in your practice, going out and saying, okay, right now, I'm going to take time for myself. Birding is self-care, and we need to look at it that way and recognize it for what it is. So going out and taking time, so being intentional about that while we're in the moment, not being judgmental. If we don't get a great look at a bird, don't beat yourself up about it. Enjoy the experience for what you're seeing in that moment. We focus on quality of the experience versus quantity. So when we're practicing mindful birding, we're not out to tick off 50 or 60 species. Okay, that's a different style of birding entirely. Mm -hmm. This is being in the moment, focusing. This allows our bodies to relax, okay? It allows us to shed anxiety and stress. Frankly, it's a mental commercial from the pressures and pulls of our daily lives. I mean, we're all digitally driven now and distracted constantly by all these things. But if we set it aside and just let ourselves relax and be in the moment. I'm sure a lot of your listeners, and you guys especially, can attest to, if you're having a bad day, what do you do? Grab your binoculars and you go outside, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I sit on my feeder, yep. Yep. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a great point, Hannah. So, really birding for me, and really for most, begins at home. Mm -hmm. So it's that connection with the things that you love the most, see the most, which is basically a backyard, or perhaps if you're living in the city or the local park. So every day you have this connection. They almost become your pet. So there's a lot of emphasis on how to look at this, how to connect with this. Uh, and, you know, with COVID, we had to look through our, through our windows, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so this book is really a strong emphasis on how to do that, how to bring birds to you, how to connect with them, how to see them. Birds, I'm an animal. Birds are animals. We're all animals. And we have more commonalities than what people think. And so a lot of it is about this commonality, I think. And, and I call it voyeurism. You know? So we encourage people to <laughs> be voyeurs of, of nature uh, in their backyard. Well, awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing. And uh, yeah, check out the Bird Nerd giveaway to, uh, for your chance to win an ornotherapy book that is signed by the authors. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Eric. So thank you, Holly and Richard, for taking a few minutes to talk with us about ornotherapy. I've been following the Facebook page um, since it started, and, you know, the the whole concept, I think, is just really cool. And so that's why we wanted to share it with you all for this Bird Nerd giveaway. So what we're asking you to do is comment or send us information on how birding has helped your mind, body, or soul. And this can be as simple or as extensive as you can imagine. It could be very simple. It could be, you know, body. I enjoy getting out and walking mm -hmm. in nature. Um, you know, something very simple as that or extensive as how birds, 
you know, or a symbol for a loved one who's died or, you know, something to that effect. Yeah, it, Whatever. It, it, can... it really could be be any, anything along the lines of uh, what uh, Holly and Richard were kind of describing as what ornotherapy is all about. So, so just send us an entry. We'll choose a random winner out of all of the entries that we receive. Um, and the winner will receive a copy of ornotherapy. By, uh, that was autographed yeah. by Holly and Richard. Yeah, they, they, they were kind enough to get us an autographed copy for it. And uh, the deadline for this is going to be September 21st, um, 2021, just a, a couple weeks away. Um, and we will announce the winner on our episode that comes out on September 23rd. Yeah, so, so send us um, your feelings. You can message us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. You could make a TikTok about it. You could... <laughs> yeah, um, make, make sure to like tag us. See if duet us or something. Like, to get, Oh, we should do yes. a duet. Oh, oh, that's a good idea. Okay. okay. Um, Anyways. <laughs> but use the hashtag birdnerdgiveaway. Uh, you can also email us, hannahandericgobirdiengmail.com. Uh, There's tons of ways to get a hold of us. People seem to figure it out. So <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> So, um, yes, yeah, submit, and let's get into our main story. Yeah, with... main story for this week. So we sat down with Freya in Virginia at the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival. It was a very busy festival. A very busy we festival. We got a lot done, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just such a joy to speak with both of them, to hear how passionate they are about accessibility and about bringing so many other people into birding and nature. Because, you know, it's a sanctuary. It's an incredible place where you can really experience things and, you know, think and mm -hmm. you know have a, a connection with nature and so they want to make sure and you know of course we do too want to make sure that birding is accessible to everyone um and we're so glad that they were they joined us yeah. to talk more about this effort and how others can get involved so join us as we talk with freya and virginia rose Okay, so we're at the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival, and we are so happy that uh, Freya and Virginia joined us from Birdability to talk about this initiative and this nonprofit that you all started. So please, tell us about Birdability. Well, I would say that Birdability began in my head about four-ish years ago when I thought how lovely it would be to be able to drive across the U.S. and find the accessible birding sites as I was traveling and then I realized no there aren't any of those and I thought how nice it would be if there were other people in wheelchairs who were birders and maybe I might meet one <laughs> so after 20 years of birding I'd never met another person in a wheelchair who birded oh wow so it kind of began with that idea huh. so um did you begin with the idea of like starting a whole like movement of this or is it just like I want to get get together with other birders in wheelchairs and be able to get out on the trail? Uh, I think it was the world's idea for it to be a movement <laughs> because <laughs> honestly the moment I brought it up mm -hmm. at the National Audubon Convention in 2019 um, it really was just sort of picked up and carried along into all the appropriate hands and minds and you know, Freya came and everybody came and then it was a movement. <laughs> <laughs> so what, when when did you, uh, Freya, when did you get on, on board with uh, birdability so get I, started here? I first met Virginia um, in January 2020 um, to invite her onto another birding podcast that I work for called Talking Birds. Okay. Um, and then we, we kind of didn't really hit it off until about six months later and... Um, 
through a series of fortuitous events, National Audubon um, offered to support some kind of event related to birders and disabilities. And I was so inspired by Black Birders Week. Uh, as a white birder from Australia, I didn't have any concept that there were so many people who couldn't go birding as easily as me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time as Black Birders Week, in June, Let's Go Birding Together, National Audubon Initiative for LGBTQIA plus birders, I, I thought, oh, well, birdability could do a thing like that, where there's a week of online events and throughout the month, we could be encouraging different Audubon chapters and bird clubs and everyday birders to to um, actively go out and invite birders with, with... First it was mobility challenges, but then we expanded into anyone with any kind of accessibility challenge. So that, that first Birdability Week happened last year in October. Um, National Audubon used their social media to amplify it and we got to use their Zoom accounts and we had all this. <laughs> that was... That was a really big thing. I, I was doing that as a volunteer, kind of coordinating all these <laughs> all these folks and stumbling around, and it was really cool. And so after that, um, I'm an occupational therapist, and this is a really amazing combination of my professional skills and background and my love of birding and birds and my desire that everyone should be able to bird as easily as I can as a white, cis, straight um Better. Although I have an access challenge as well, but um, anyway, I, I remember when um, Freya came on and um, all of the goals that I had designed for birdability um, had mainly to do with mobility challenges, and so I had really outlined it pretty well in my yeah. mind, and um, then Freya comes in and says, "Oh, well, we have to include blind people who are blind." too and I said oh yeah okay and we have to include people who are deaf and I said oh yeah that okay and we have to include people who and 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 I was like what uh, okay I see I understand and I just at, at many points I have to tell you I just kind of started going along with what the world was telling me we were doing my, my background is in blindness and light vision services as an occupational therapist, uh, so it... It, like, it was in the forefront of your mind. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, of course, birders who are blind or have low vision can be birders. You can bird by ear just as yeah. well as, as visually, so... And then vice versa for those that are uh, auditorily challenged. Yeah, yeah, people who are deaf or hard of hearing, absolutely. And, and, and there's so many different people with different disabilities and other health concerns, like chronic illnesses or um, maybe they're going through some kind of really intense medical treatment or... People, I have a dodgy knee, it's undiagnosed, no one can figure out what the deal is the last two years, I can't walk as well as I used to. So there's all these people who maybe don't identify as having a disability exactly, but have some kind of thing going on where getting out on a trail or getting in or out of a bird blind or, or even being outside in a particular way is, is hard mm-hmm. or, or even impossible. So it kind of just made sense to me from, from my background that that would be, we wouldn't just do one piece of this, we'd do it all. Do the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, all of it. So, so we, <laughs> right we now. just jump all, just the whole the whole pool, just right, all of yeah. it. Exactly. And of course, the way I started was I just wanted to do um, a birdathon by myself because for years I had been trying to keep up with all the walking folks who were doing their birdathons. And, you know, I was just like, I'm going to do my own birdathon. And this is what it's going to look like. 
and um, I'm going to bird all day, dawn to dusk. I'm going to go to the five accessible parks that I've found in Austin, although there are 30 portions of which I'm calling accessible. <laughs> and I've been leading those beginning bird or those, um, well, I led the beginning bird walks, but now I was leading birdability walks. And so, I, of course, I had to, to do all those accessible paths. Um, and, in, and then the president of Travis Audubon said, you must call the media about this. I'm like, I'm not calling the media. I'm just doing a bird of lunch. He says, we will see about that. <laughs> and then, so it was just a wonderful time. And um, during during that birdathon, people were like, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. And I'm like, no, I'm going alone. And I'm going alone for a reason. I want to make sure everybody knows that A, I can do it alone just fine. And it's not accessible unless I can do it alone. Hmm. And that was important to me. And um, Mike Fernandez of National Audubon was sent down to follow me on that trip. So I like to say that I would have seen more birds had I not been working, if I were not having two journalists in tow <laughs> that day. And in fact, the next year I got eight more species. So I'm, I'm saying uh, so, so, it's, so it's their fault. Yeah, it's their fault. And I really <laughs> get that Canadian war, that Canada war boy that last time. <laughs> And that, and that was the, that article that came out in Audubon magazine and the video, that was what I found when I was looking for a bird of, um, with a disability or other health concern to have yeah. on, on Talking Birds. So that, that was pretty fortuitous. Yeah. But that was three, that was three and a half, nearly three and a half years ago. Well, when that see, happened. it was in May, April or May. Yeah. So almost, yeah, a little over three years. So we became, yeah. so, and yeah, so this time last year, then Birdability Week within October, which will be happening again this October, Birdability Week. And this time people can organise, we have a bit more, I have a bit more time to uh, <laughs> help other folks and we can do more stuff in person anyway, uh, hopefully, to have these accessible outings um, throughout the month of October. And it's, it's, that's exciting. So we became a non-profit in January this year. So it, Birdability has been a non-profit only for, at this point, six Six, seven, eight. Seven. Seven. Are we in August? We're in August yeah, already. Oh yeah. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Okay. So, so somehow we made months. it there. Yeah. 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 It's been awesome. And at some point, I remember Freya saying, okay, we're going to do Birdability Week. And I'm like, what is that? So I just began. You weren't on Twitter? No. No, I, no, 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 no Twitter, no Instagram, <laughs> no Facebook. Uh-uh. And so Freya's like, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I'm the founder. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> Just sort of in the back seat, letting Freya drive. <laughs> so I'm curious. Uh, so you're, as a professional, you're an occupational therapist, and you have a lot of experience in this. Uh, but what informs, like, how you give suggestions? And uh, I mean, because I'm I'm not blind, and I can poorly imagine what it would be like to be blind. But how do you give you know give the information and be the best? You know, I'm doing all that. That's a bad question. You know what I mean, though. Occupational therapy is a healthcare profession that's all about enabling people to do things in their everyday life that bring them meaning that they can't do because of a disability or injury or an illness. And it's usually stuff like showering independently or cooking dinner independently. But sometimes it's... Birding. Sometimes it's birding. <laughs> uh, in this case, it's always birding. Um, and so we, we can modify the environment, the physical environment, Accessible trails are a perfect example of that. The bits that make up a truly accessible trail. What can we, what can we do to this so that someone can 
use it by themselves. The institutional environment, the cultural environment, the social environment, we can provide adaptive equipment. Um, Virginia has a wheelchair-mounted scope. That's pretty sweet. That's cool. Um, and we can teach new skills to the, the person or the people around them to enable them to, to be independent in whatever it is that they're trying to do. So some of what we do, some of the resources up on our website, which is birdability.org, um, some of them some of them come from Virginia's experience as a wheelchair user. Some of them come from my understanding. Um, and, you know, if you give people tools, they're more likely to go do the thing. So, for example, there's a guidance document up there about um, information to include when you're writing up the event description for an accessible outing. Like, here, this is the bits that is really important for folks to know. Okay, now you can go do that. You know, Audubon chapters and bird clubs and stuff. Here's, yeah. here's that tool. Um, and then a lot of it comes from what people tell us because I can theorize all I want, but I probably get relatively close sometimes. But um, people's lived experience is so much more valuable if it's if they're you know if they're a totally blind birder and they they can tell me exactly what they've done. And we sort of see our work and our website as and the, the resources that live there as like a clearinghouse of all of this information so that anyone can get hold of it. Like here's the spot to come find it, um, both for birders with access challenges themselves, beginner birders, um, and also for able-bodied, sighted, hearing, neurotypical birders who want to help, who want to take folks birding, but might be a little scared. Like, I don't know how to go birding with someone who's blind. Mm -hmm. You can read that up. Oh, cool. Well, that's not that hard, you know. <laughs> so, so it's and and I mean, we've really been going on that only six months, trying to set up this nonprofit and mm -hmm. do all this stuff. So, there's a lot more coming there. Um, whereas, as we um, learn more and the things that we learn, we push out. That's the cool thing. So, um, the more we can find out, the more we can share the more people know the more people learn how to be more inclusive the more people realize why that trail isn't really as accessible as it kind of thinks it is mm -hmm. you know a lot of education and outreach mm -hmm. um, also one of the important things that i think we both realized is that when we are talking about people with accessibility challenges it's awfully easy to decide that that is an other group like we can say, well, these people are blind or deaf. These people are, are using wheelchairs. These, are, and so it's easy, I think, for neurotypical walking normal people to say normal people to say, well, that's an other audience. And um, so uh, we try initially to to help them realize that's you in twenty years or ten years or thirty years. Can we see ourselves aging? Please, yeah. into our recreational years, mm -hmm. you know, into those, what is it going to look like when we have grandparents who are 85? What is it going to look like when our parents are 85? What is it going to look like if we have mothers who have three twins or three sets of twins and how are they going to manage on a path that's inaccessible? So it's everyone. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that, like truly, it's everybody, it makes it, I think, so much more um, accessible to everyone and they realize you're talking about yourself that's that, that's definitely a, a great point to like bring up that it's like you can you can age into a disability or into into 
like losing your sight, losing your well, hearing. We've losing, heard we've had a lot of like, birder all, all friends of that are like, "Oh, I can't, you know, hear the birds as well, right? right. Yeah. Anymore, or I can't bushwhack anymore, right? Yeah, like, when we were in our twenties and thirties and climbing up hills and exactly Th- things that you remember back. I used to be able to, and then say, ah, I can't do that anymore. So then making things, th- thinking about that. Well, in t- fifteen more years, I'm. I'm going to be even further down that road where I can't do. Right. I can do and even you, less. And you so sense in people the um, inclination to not impose on others. I I shared a lot of those stories with Freya about how I don't want to impose in, in many ways. And so when you think about how much pressure aging people are under, they want to participate, but they do not want to impose. Mm-hmm. And so birdability is addressing all of those fears and all of those. Um, possibilities too. Yeah, the, the the concept of being intentionally inclusive, we talk a lot about that. So, you know, in, if you think you're being inclusive, it's like, oh, well, of course everyone should know they're invited. Um, but if you're being intentional about it, you're going out of your way. Sometimes it takes more time and effort and sometimes it takes more money to make sure that person knows that you want them to come. For example, um, making a point in an outing description that older folks who were just slower are more than welcome to attend like spelling it out oh yes oh please come rather than maybe leaving it to them to think oh maybe i'm not invited right. i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to put it on the link i don't want to slow it, down the group right freya calls it the opt-in yeah so i guess that's another another frame of reference that that we use a bit this this concept of inclusion and um you can force people to opt out without intending to. Um, it might be things like having a webinar and not providing closed captions. Folks who are deaf or hard of hearing or who have um, sensory um, issues and, and someone's speech might be just the wrong frequency and just ping them in the wrong way in their ears and um, maybe, they, maybe they're having trouble interpreting an accent that they weren't prepared for. and. And if you don't have closed captions, you might be just forcing them to opt out. Like, they can't participate. Mm-hmm. They can't. They're getting nothing out of this. Yeah. But if you have closed captions, you're allowing them to opt in. They now have the choice that other people have. Do I want to go or not? Well, you don't have to come. But, hey, you've been invited to opt in. Um, it's easier. It's the rule of inertia, right? Like, it's easier to be able to say yes in these, in these situations. There's no, no no reason that they can't no no reason to say no other than being busy or they don't want to or, <laughs> or they, they don't, don't want, want to, to. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right right and 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 that's if you sort of think about different um, different decisions like that like if you're trying to not force someone to opt out you're probably going to be as inclusive as you can um, given what whatever else you know so that's that's one way of going about it like. Um, Closed captions are the example I often give. Well, opting in is at the very beginning saying there are accessible restrooms, there are accessible parking spaces, there are, so that it's easy for them to say yes. What was the example you were going to give? Yeah, uh, including an image description in the social media post which just describes what the photo is of or what the graphic says. Um, screen reader software reads aloud the text on a screen and so folks who are blind or have low vision and a whole bunch of other people uh, often use screen reader software and people will say, oh, well, I don't need to do that on Instagram because obviously no one who's blind uses Instagram. Do you know 
that? <laughs> are you sure? Or are you just forcing people to opt out of engaging with your, your posts? And a lot of sighted people have told me that they appreciate image descriptions because they didn't know that they were supposed to pick up on that thing in the photo, mm. for example. Uh. And if you read the image description written by the person who's posting it, oh, that, that was key. I was supposed to notice that yeah. thing, you know. And, and there's heaps of... And the thing about all this work too is that often you think, oh, it's just one group of people, just people who are blind or have low vision, um, just, as, just as, as if they weren't... Just the Right, yeah. if they weren't... It wasn't a good enough reason by itself. Um, but there's often a bunch of other folks who can also benefit. So um, folks with print disabilities, uh, folks with maybe their... I always... Giving Zoom presentations, I speak aloud anything that comes up on the slides so that if someone who's blind has low vision won't miss the visual information, but also people who maybe have a migraine, they can't look at the screen right now, like they need to be otherwise <laughs> not engaging visually, but they can still opt in mm -hmm. because I'm going to verbalize everything out loud. They can catch that. So You know what I love about this mostly? And I feel like I learn this again and again that as you and I are learning about accessibility challenges, we realize one or the other goes, you know what, that's just not for people, that's not just for people with accessibility challenges. Oh my gosh, that applies across the board. And one of those examples is when, um, in my first presentations, I was talking about how uh, I've always had difficulty and uncertainty leads to empowerment and joy. And that, and then I sort of outlined what the difficulties were, and then um, outlined the empowerment that came from the difficulty, and then listed the joys as a birder. as a birder, and realized that applies to everyone. That applies to walking people. That applies to everyone. And that all of a sudden becomes really meaningful to me. That it's not just our small, smaller realm, it's everyone. Yeah. And the cool thing that made, and at one, there's many cool things that made me really happy, but um, one of them is that we are doing this work focusing on birding and the birding community, which inherently becomes the outdoors to some extent. But if we can teach walking people a little bit about wheelchair etiquette, and if we can teach um, sighted people a little bit about how to interact well with someone who's blind or has low vision, or um, why it's important not to park in a van accessible parking space if you don't need it. That doesn't apply just to the birding trail or to the, to the birding club that you belong to, but that applies to the rest of your life. Like this transfers out into the supermarket yeah. and you know down at the doctor surgery or whatever. So it, that's also, to me, that's really cool because even though we are doing it through the lens of birding, um, it feels like we can make the world a better place in a even bigger way yes. simultaneously, which is, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, for sure. We talk also about um, ways in which to educate and build awareness um, without being uh, obnoxious or <laughs> trying to turn, you know, we're, we're trying to do it in a positive, mm -hmm. um, happy, healthy learning way. And um, so we both talk about that often. I'm like, okay, now how can we... Of course, we feel optimistic about making 
a site more accessible. Like the site might be perfect, except shoot, they need to add a ramp in this one place. And so we always try to approach those situations with, this is wonderful, this is how we can make it even better. Um, it's not, we always try to come with a solution in hand um, because that's the, you know, we don't want to waltz in and dump a problem in somebody's lap. They, that's not you're going to turn to, people off immediately. Yeah, that's and, not how to make yeah. friends. So we try to come with a solution in hand and happy and cheerful about it, not irritated. And Everything so, you're doing is wrong, and this is how you need to fix it. Right, exactly. So that way we get everybody invested, mm -hmm. like, emotionally, and then everyone's on our side. So do you foresee, like, grants um, as an opportunity for sites to improve accessibility? There are loads of grants around. Um, there's lots of different county, state, um, national grants for improving accessibility of building locations. Um, we, as, as a six-month-old nonprofit, <laughs> haven't started doing that stuff for specific locations. We want to empower the people in the communities to do that work. Okay. Um, right. Because... Virginia's in Texas. I'm married to a soldier. We get moved <laughs> to different states all the time, and so we're and we're only two people. And we, we, I mean, we're going to expand, but it we can affect more change if we can empower people where they are to do this work themselves in their own communities. Because then all these different people can be doing that at once instead mm -hmm. of just us like trying to do one at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. But which is kind of what I was I was like, telling my mom that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go to Alaska and find all the accessible burning sites. Mom's like, honey, I, I don't think you can go to Florida and then Alaska and then San Diego, and you're gonna have to. At which point we started, when people were calling me early on, saying we want, I want to do what you're doing. How do we do it? And I just designated them vertebility captain. You are the vertebility <laughs> captain of Maryland, and <laughs> music, please. And then, so you get the crowdsourcing out there. Yeah. Get, get, well, get everybody I didn't know to do what thing. I was doing. I didn't even know that word crowdsourcing. I was taught that word in 2018. <laughs> All I knew really was that I needed. I I wanted everybody to do what I had done in Austin. Mm -hmm. So I just basically wrote up the steps on what to do, yeah. and then I provided it for them to carry on in whatever way was feasible. And then, of course, since. Freya came on board and got everything sort of organized in a social media way, and mm -hmm. and and we're orchestrating, trying trying to orchestrate the vertebrity captain's assignments, not assignments. What do you want? Well, yeah. So they're like the volunteers. They're our volunteers. Yeah. And, and yeah, not orchestrate, but empower. Yes, like empower. empower. And to to be doing this work to reach out to local disability support groups and rehabilitation hospitals and. Um, Centers for Independent Living and the local adaptive sports organization and say, hey, hey, have you guys ever been birding? This is what birding is. Do you want yeah. to come? We're having an accessible bird outing next week. Right. That's, that's, that's what I did in Austin. And okay. that's what we want everyone to be doing. The birdability captains, the, or one chapter's the bird clubs, the, right. the, the, the bird festivals, everyone to be reaching out, inviting people to opt in and having the accessible locations, um, the birdability map, you can submit a site review, which is just a survey um, that that you report on what accessibility features are present at any given birding location. Um, and so that's a way that people can find the local places near them that they can take folks to that'll meet their needs. Yeah. Um, and 
we want to we're trying to empower these these really motivated volunteers to be doing this work in their own communities because we're mm-hmm. only two and we're only in two spots and yeah. if we can push out the tools and and we have a whole little core of folks doing that similar do. work and they they have all so many of them have displayed such amazing spirits that they have exactly what we are hoping they're going to have and they're already in many in many cases they're already doing right. that work and um, we're just trying to celebrate what they're already doing and then ha- ha- encouraging them to do more and um, so we have over 700 sites mm-hmm. now pin the okay. affordability oh, wow. map and um, I keep telling Freya, road trip, road trip, when are we going? I'm very excited. Load up the van and... So, so I, I assume then there's enough spots to get... You don't have to have a whole day of not going to any sites if you travel to the States? Oh, Lord, no. Not, how am I? You I don't know when I'm going to sleep. There will be no sleeping. <laughs> I'm going to rig up a cot in the back of the van and... <laughs> Yeah, so the Bettability Map is, um, anyone can submit to it, it's crowdsourced, uh-huh. um, and and any kind of reasonably accessible birding location. So someone asked me the, the other day if places that were not accessible at all, if they should be up there. Well, no, we don't want to know about them. <laughs> There's plenty of them. You know, we're not, we're not talking about the really epic mountains. You could find birds on that... <laughs> That aren't really it's not, not important for not, this. Yeah, that's you can find them somewhere else. The the birdability map reasonably accessible. That's sort of one of the only times we have a vague piece of terminology. Mm-hmm. The rest of the, the site review, the survey questions are set up to be really objective so people don't have to make a judgment call. I mean, there's so many different access challenges, everyone has different needs, everyone has different preferences. Some people vary day by day on what they can or cannot do. My knee changes all the time. Um, uh, even just you know, folks who use manual wheelchairs like Virginia, there's all different kinds of people who use manual wheelchairs, and not everyone is the same. So, you know, someone saying, "Oh well, that slope, a manual wheelchair user could do that slope." Uh, that's, do you know that? Like, are we we're making a pretty broad sweep here. It's, yeah. it's better to instead tell us, and the site review prompts this, what gradient is the slope, and then yeah. any given person can at some point figure out what gradients they yes. can do and what they can't manage and you know is there three steps or is there just one or like are there loads of steps and I can do steps with my knee now I couldn't two years ago I couldn't do steps um, someone in it with a mobility device may or may not want to deal with even one step right. you know so the site review is set up so that you just report what is or isn't there and then whoever needs that information can make their own decision about and the thing is, it would be really wonderful if every state park, every national park, every nature centre, any old place that, where you can go birding had all this detail on their own websites, but they don't. And that's why the birdability map exists, because okay. so many places will say, we have an accessible trail. And then you go... Well, that's all and they say like, about it. Oh, that's not really that. Yeah, like, right. There's a difference between an accessible trail and an actually accessible trail. Yeah. Right. And there's so many different features too. Stuff like interpretive signs, um, where there's an alternative method of accessing that information. So folks who are blind or have low vision or have print disabilities or um, dyslexia or uh, maybe early onset dementia or little kids or whatever can get that information too that doesn't rely on reading printed text. 
Like that's something that isn't particularly relevant to Virginia or myself, but other people with different access challenges, it might be nice to know that at that location, they've been invited to opt in to learning that stuff on that interpretive sign. Hmm. A lot of the time, the stuff we do benefits all these other people. If our work only focused on white, straight, um, cis birders with disabilities, we wouldn't be being inclusive and doing a job. So mm -hmm. we have to make sure we're including BIPOC birders and LGBTQIA birders um, because many of them also have a disability or other health concern. Yeah. So like our like the in the 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 f people we're focusing on um, have access challenges because of a disability or other health concern, but there may be folks who are BIPOC or who are LGBTQIA plus who kind of subsequently, who don't have a disability, who subsequently benefit from what we're trying to do. Um, there's a question in the site review, for example, about safety concerns, mm -hmm. okay. um, which might be relevant to some folks who don't have a disability, but would like to know if there's dodgy stuff going on in that area before they show up to go birding there. So um, having two choices of language to read, mm -hmm. I think is fabulous, but it's not sort of the, the, the focus of, okay. of that. Well, and, and I, I kind of started thinking about that when you were talking about the, um, the, alt, the alt text for pictures mm -hmm. is I've, I've, I really appreciate that as a, as a, as a fully sighted birder. When I'm like I'm on Facebook and I'll see see that for something because I follow a bunch of pages that are like uh, like uh, Swedish memes and German memes and it's nice when they have the alt text because then I can use Google Translate and right. figure out exactly what it means. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can't Google Translate a picture right. without having to. There's a bunch of extra steps that are involved in that. So I mean, yeah. com, like unrelated to disability, my, my disability is the inability to read another language. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's not an actual like. A, a situation that hold, holds me back there, but it's I get to get some enjoyment because it's of the, because enhanced. of the alt text. Yeah, it's in, it's enhanced because of the alt text that are on experience. some of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there are a lot of tools too for language. I mean, when we went to Scandinavia, we don't speak Swedish or Finnish, but Eric had this really cool app that he could put it over the interpretive panel, and it would translate the whole thing into English yeah. for us. So yeah, so w when things are fully written out in a way that's like like. Uh, legible and understandable yeah. <laughs> then you it's easy it's easy to figure it out into another language so, so that does help accessibility i guess yeah 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 that's that's super cool <laughs> so five ten years down the road where do you see birdability five to ten years down the road um my hope would be that we have well-established teams of people with access challenges in major cities. Um, my dream would be that I bring half a dozen people with access challenges from Austin to Seattle, where we are hosted by another team of people with access challenges who will take us to all of the wonderful accessibility sites in Seattle, and then Austin reciprocates then Seattle comes down. And I would like for that to be just this network, like this national network where these people have created a community that involves birds, focusing, centering on birds, mm -hmm. but involves so much more than that, of course. And my first experience with that, and this is gonna sound naive, 
um, when I was leading some of my first birdability walks, and I'd collected people who uh, were in wheelchairs or scooters or whatever, and um, they didn't know each other. They were from different groups, and they were meeting on the trail for the first time. And after our introductions, then you know I of course began wheeling down the street or wheeling down the path to help them find the birds. And I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm realizing what, and I look behind me, and they were like. 20 feet behind me, all circled up and having a conversation about the best shoes for people in wheelchairs, about the best backpacks for people in wheelchairs, about the best coffee cups for people in wheelchairs. And I just thought it was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more than the birds. And then of course I say, of course it's about the people. But so to circle back to your question, that is my grand idea, is to just make sure we've created communities of people people who have access challenges who otherwise would never meet. Hmm. I love that idea. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I think we'll have a few other things going on in 10 years, too. I hope. I'm going to the huge. And then I don't know about all how. Hey, Craig, get that going. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how to make it happen. But. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we need... We need um, more stuff. We need a shipping department. We need a shipping department. I tell you what, we need all the gear for the outreach tables. This festival for the first time was no joke. Um, fundraising, we have so many different programs we could be running. Um, at the moment, I'm the only person full-time. Um, Virginia tells me she's retired and wants to stay that way. Uh, so really key. I mean, we, we're on Zoom four plus hours a week together, yeah. working through a lot of setup stuff and, and how to go about doing different things, philosophizing about inclusivity and disability. Yeah. And, we get a, and a little off topic, but we always can... It's not that off topic. It's not. It's, on, it's, it's within the within scope the of birdability. But there's a lot to talk about. It may there not have been that exactly. There is so much to talk about when, when we are talking about what it means to be inclusive. There's, and that's the really cool thing. I mean, that's what the birdability week last year that, I mean, I was just a volunteer. Um, that's what made it so... At least you, you knew this, I think, but this needs to be an organization because there needs to be people employed doing this because there is so much to do, as in, as in, oh my gosh, there's so much to do, but yes. also as in, there's so much to do, yes. like such a cool thing. And and the, the, the awesome thing about Birdability Week was we got two kinds of responses because the haters just don't engage. They just move along. They just, I, I haven't, I've only had a few grumpy comments, not, not many, they're just like, okay, whatever, I'm they, not interested. They say their piece and, and just, move on. Yeah. yeah. The, the engagement we get is either folks who have a disability or know someone close to them who does, who says, thank you, thank you, I finally feel seen and heard as a member of the birding community. Mm. Thank you for addressing this. Thank you for doing this thing. Or they, as someone who is able-bodied or sighted or hearing or neurotypical, who says, thank you, I really wanted to be inclusive, but I didn't know how. Thank you for showing me how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's a pretty rewarding work right there. Yeah, it is. So there's there's so much. We, that's coming up shortly, is strategic planning um, for a nonprofit to, to really kind of nut out what we, where, we know where we want to go in the broad world, but, yeah. like, exactly what to focus on first and how to get there, you know, in the next five or ten years is, that's, 
ask us again in six months and we might have a more concrete <laughs> answer. Um, or we may still be fielding a million emails and a million calls. But yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. I, I sometimes I think like other nonprofits probably have a bunch of stuff set up before they sort of launch themselves publicly. But because Virginia had been doing this work and had a lot of people paying attention to her before and then Birdability Week last year, we sort of became public before we had ourselves really set up. What, what, that what makes sense? What, what's happened? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really funny, like, um, things like strategic planning or, like, even just baseline budgeting that we're like, oh, we need a budget? Oh, okay, we better do that. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we're, we're we'll right on that. so busy doing the, the work, the, mm-hmm. the programmatic stuff, mm-hmm. that um, it's definitely been a learning experience mm-hmm. and a half this last six months. So there's going to be a lot more of that for us and for uh, everyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, along those same lines, so many people have said that this is such a positive, happy, productive mission, if you will. And people are drawn to doing something that they know is, are those things. I'm a firm believer that people want to do good work. They just need to find the thing that's you know inspires them in that particular direction. Birdability is working for a lot of people. I think in that way, it's working for me. <laughs> working for Freya. <laughs> well, awesome. Do you guys have anything else you want to tell us about Birdability? Where, where can we find? You have, you have a website. You have social media. You have and these cool other new ways. shirts. Cool new shirts you guys yeah. have. So so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Oh, we're at cool. Birdability, um, and the website is birdability.org. And there's a contact us form on there if you want to get in touch. That goes to the dirty secret. I don't know if it's a dirty secret. It, it all comes to me. So there's a point where I can't possibly respond to everybody as quickly as possible because I'm at a birding festival or some other thing. So um, there's the asterisk with that. I'll, I'll get back to people as soon as I'm able. Um, it's been a lot. Yeah. And the shirts are available on the website? The T-shirts are available until August 23rd. Oh, short time. Yeah, they're like batch kind of made. Oh, okay. So um, we've released them, we released them today, yay, yay. Um, to celebrate our first festival. Um, my plan is that when we are at other festivals, we'll, that way folks who can't come to the festival can maybe feel like they can almost come past our table in the expo to like say <laughs> hi and buy a shirt, but right. you have to buy it online. So um, yeah, August 23rd is when the t-shirts will be gone again. And uh, this episode will come out after that. Yeah. I think. There'll, there'll be other batches, though, right? There'll be other yeah. batches. Yeah, there'll be there'll other be batches. Paired with festivals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and I'm looking forward to having more stuff, more fun things. I'm a, I'm a big patch fan. I, I'm a quilter, and I have this big map quilt with patches from all over the U.S. Yeah. sewn onto it, so we have patches. And But, I mean, just figuring out how to sell these things online, you have to get registered in different states as a non-profit to collect sales taxes, all these amazing headaches that... We just kind of were, we're like, like, oh, what? what? We have to what do what? Um, so, <laughs> so our lawyers call us and say, well, you have to get registered in every state. What? What, what? what is that? Sales tax? Uh-oh. Um, so we're learning when we're getting there slowly. People are like, where are your stickers? I'm like, oh, they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> a little more complicated than you probably realize. Yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, it's such important work and it's such meaningful work. And, um you know, birds are awesome and nature's fabulous and the more people who get to find that out, like that's the more people who can care for them too. Right, so, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, thank you guys so much for sharing with us. You know, it's been fun to watch all this work that you've been doing and yeah. we've been watching from the sidelines and um, excited to see where it goes from here. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah. for the support and thanks for the encouragement. I learned so much yes. from talking <laughs> <laughs> to these two. It's incredible. It just like, compl- they completely opened my mind to things that I had never even considered. Well, and I, I really hope it comes through that both Freya and Virginia are extremely passionate about this. I know Hannah said that at, at the introduction of talking about like our interview with them, but they are so passionate about making sure that the outdoors is accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's just the the whole, the whole spectrum of all people need to be able to have the same level of access to the outdoors just to be able to get out there and enjoy it. I feel like it ties perfectly into uh, ornotherapy. Yeah. (laughs) But it's just like, you you just need to get out there. Everyone needs to be able to experience nature in whatever way they can Mm -hmm. and feel comfortable out there to do what they do what they need to do to feel good about and, nature and have the facilities and resources to be able to do that. Yes. Um, so that's definitely an important part. And you know, something that they mentioned that hadn't even ever occurred to me is how you can age into requiring invertibility mm-hmm. uh, to be able to participate in this activity. Like with hearing loss, you know, we, we meet a lot of older birders who say they can't hear the high range of birds anymore because they've lost that level of hearing. And so that's something that birdability is looking to address. Yeah, and it's it's things, something that I never thought about. Well, and and it's like like just because you're not in a wheelchair or in a wheelchair yet, or have wearing hearing aids or wearing hearing aids yet, or any any of these potential issues, like it's so easy to be go from having a hundred percent of hearing to fifty percent, or mm-hmm. just like just to go get into a position where. All of a sudden, the things that you used to be able to do, you can't do anymore. It's, yeah. it, it, it goes as you get older, you, you move into those positions. So it's easy to, like, like we talked about in the interview, it's easy to just kind of write it off as, oh, well, there's disabled people and there's then there's everyone else. But everyone eventually will be a disabled person in some fashion. So it's it's this is this is not just a single segment of the population this is the entire the entire population it applies it applies to everyone yeah because eventually you could be in a position where Mm -hmm. you know you require bird ability resources to be able to go out and do something that you love yeah so like having these conversations and getting everyone involved in these conversations is extremely important Mm -hmm. and i think freya and virginia are doing a fantastic job like being so vocal about getting out there and talking about bird ability and access yeah So thank you, Freya and Virginia, for joining us to tell us more about this. And also thank you, Holly and Richard, for talking uh, ornotherapy with us as well. We've had a lot of fun guests on this episode. Yeah. Um, So we're so glad we could we could share them all. And, you know, it's cool how they their um, two efforts, you know, are they're they're not meeting. They're not exactly the same, but they're they're very parallel. Yeah. They're like tangentially coordinated i don't know what i'm trying to say yeah parallel yeah um so yeah i think that's that's really cool and it was you know just a stroke of luck that we were able to get everybody in the same festival seriously that that was awesome but yeah so thank you guys all for that and thank all of you guys for listening to our podcast um we hope that you enjoyed it and or learned something new please 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 rate review and subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, stitcher google music and anywhere else you listen to us and also do the bird nerd giveaway bird nerd giveaway 
And also go listen to Hannah's podcast, Women Burgers Happy Hour. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I should have said that at the beginning, but we'll, we'll, we'll say it now. So anyways. rude. Tachi was my guest in the last episode, and she's a Brazilian birder. Um, so, yeah, go listen to that and drink a delicious Crested Cara Cara. Crested Cara Cara. Oh, uh, yeah. So um, if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Hannah with an H, Eric with a K. On Facebook, you can follow us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Hannah with an H, Eric with a K. <laughs> You can also follow us on Twitter at We Go Birding. No K's or H's in that. That's got a W. It's got a W. <laughs> <laughs> you can also email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. You can also check out our TikTok. Our TikTok. We have like a handful of videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hannah and Eric Go Birding. <laughs> Wait, that's with Hannah with an H, Eric with a K? Hannah with an H, Eric with a K. Awesome. Our website, uh, www.gobirdingpodcast.com. And uh, tell us what you think. Yeah, tell us. Let us know. <laughs>